Hey everyone, we're back again with another episode of Lessons of the Woods by 10 Point Whitetails. I'm your host, Dylan Porter, and with me I have our co-host, Kyle Weber, and our special guest, Jared, from Outdoor X Media. Uh, he is the most, the southernmost guest we've had on the podcast so far. Granted, he's only the third, so we're working our way down south. And I think he's got a little bit of a southern accent, but uh, Kyle doesn't necessarily believe me here. Uh, but I, I only laughed at the statement of southern. We're talking... <laughs> uh jared iowa iowa oh yeah the women uh, love the the iowegian accent down here you know <laughs> i wouldn't Very soft after southern, but <laughs> it has he, a he little bit say, of flair he doesn't say you betcha and yeah I, is oofta so, a part of your okay. accent a part of your terminology <laughs> not quite i haven't okay. heard that one yet so we're moving up. We're moving up in the world, Kyle. We're getting away from the Uftas. <laughs> I think you just got to go a little bit farther south for that. So. No, that's up here, Ufta. Yeah, sure. Is you it? Betcha. Yep. Oh, okay. all the time. Ufta. Oh, or y- yeah, no. Yep. Jared, if I if you ask me a question and I say yeah, no, what did I say? Yes you, or no? I both. <laughs> so yeah, no is no. No, yeah. Is yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll save that for the linguist podcast. Uh, there we yeah. go. But uh, so those of you that are watching our YouTube or Facebook versions or the video version on Spotify, you'll see scrolling in the bottom left-hand corner a series of photos, and these are all Jared's photos. And holy mackerel, this guy has shot some nice bucks and found some nice sheds. Uh, so, Jared, we're going to start off with uh, he, not exactly where you're from, but tell us roughly where you're from and what got you into hunting, and then uh, we'll see where we roll from there. Okay. Um, I am from the eastern part of Iowa here, more of like the nose of Iowa, if you want to say, over by the Mississippi River. Um, very hilly country over here, actually. It's not like flat like a lot of people would think Iowa, cornfields, but it's a uh, very hilly. Uh, there's quite a bit of timber. Um, we got the Makoka River and the Mississippi that kind of meet right here and uh, lots of good hunting around this area. Um, I grew up hunting river bottoms, um, you know, bigger timber, I guess to me, maybe not to you guys up there, up north, you know, but around here, you know, bigger timber on the river bottoms and uh, started hunting with my grandpa and my dad back when I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, they kind of got me introduced into it. Um, and just kind of went from there. Uh, my dad and grandpa were always just, you know, if it's Brown, it's down that kind of saying, you know what I mean? It's (laughs) anything that came by, they were out just hunting, just enjoyed getting out. And that's kind of how I grew up hunting and, um, just kind of shot my first buck and just going from there. I just kind of, wanted to keep up in the ante if you know what i mean so so you kind of dropped into by the sounds of it a uh self-controlled method of whitetail management where you want to shoot a bigger deer every year right yes at some point and that's what we've found talking to a lot of people that's worked really well but also it always is fun for me to hear uh how much family has to do with it so, you know, when we talk to the guys from Haunted Outdoors, both Kyle and I have shared stories. It's always family. Family had something to do with it, got you involved or keeps you involved or getting your own children or nieces and nephews or who whoever may, may be involved in hunting. And I think that's one of the big things that a lot of people who are opposed to hunting or not familiar with it don't realize is such a huge part of what we do as a tradition with hunting. So I found that quite interesting. Uh, just want to comment on that real quick. Uh, well, and, and Dylan, you, you mentioned family. Uh, Jared's been on the docket to be a guest on the podcast for three weeks, four weeks. Yeah. But, um, technically hasn't been able to make it because you were, you were expecting your, your second kid. So just to put it out there, congratulations on that. Um, glad everything yeah, went thank well. You. Um, now you got two to to raise up in a hunting world. I got my three, and I would say literally everything I'm doing hunting related now is is for them. Bought land for them, 
set up tree stands so that when they're of age, they can hunt. And, and I'm doing management now that will take five to 10 years to do, but it'll be for when they're hunting. So family is, family is key for me. So. Yep. And that's my dream kind of going into all this too. Um, I don't currently own land, but I'm currently trying to buy some and I want to get something established. So when my kids grow up, like you're saying, Kyle, uh, something that I can have for them to hand down and something they could grow up hunting and like I did and just kind of ingrain that into their system to grow up hunting and just enjoy the outdoors. So, so you, you mentioned you don't have, you don't own some property, but it, it, down there, is there a lot of um, public land or how, what is your, what is your hunting situation? There, there is quite a bit of hub or uh, like I have ground and public hunting ground around my area. Um, you know, like, there'd be like a 400 acre piece or a 500 acre piece here and there. Um, but a lot of the ground around here is leased out. Um, a lot of people lease ground around here. And if it's not leased, it's all family that hunt it. So it's, it's very hard to get into stuff around this part of Iowa. I know Southern Iowa is probably about the same way, but, um, I've just kind of got lucky. The farm that I'm hunting now is the farm I grew up hunting too. I mean, it's, it's my parents' neighbors and I grew up hunting it. And, uh, the lane owner is actually one of my best friends. Uh, we grew up together. So I've been very fortunate to have the property that I do. And, but it's not like it was, uh, you know, something I found online and picked out and just, it's something I've built up over the last 15 years to get it to where it's at currently. So. Yeah. And, and leasing isn't quite a thing up here. One, we don't have the deer, population or the deer herd or, or the age age status that draws people to lease up here um i mean you talk dylan talks about two thousand acres out his back door to to hunt public land and i right behind my cabin have twelve thousand acres of access you know which is which is cool but for me to have success and i mean consistent good quality success private land is the only way to go because then you can manage it I have better luck, so I, I purchased 94 acres. Um, I'll have better luck on that 94 because I can manage it than I would on 12,000 acres out the back door because every Joe Blow can access that. Yep. So, but leasing isn't quite like I can't call somebody that can't, I can knock on doors and ask permission, sure, but usually their buddies or their family come up and hunt it hard during rifle season. They don't want anybody there, blah blah. blah. So private is the only way we can go up here to have a, to have a good chance. I know a couple buddies that do public land and they do it hardcore. And I, I applaud them for all the effort they do, but leasing just isn't, uh, isn't a thing. I've reached out to a few people in the past and they've scoffed at it, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it not, it wasn't like that growing up around here. I mean, before every farmer would just let you kind of hunt around here, but just in the recent years, I'd say in the last five, maybe 10 years. It's just, you know, just the way it is online, social media blowing everything up and just everybody is always looking to kill the biggest buck and, you know, manage those deer. So it seems like it's just went that way around here. And I, I obviously in a lot of places. So. Yeah. Uh, central, Southern, uh, central and Southern Wisconsin. People pay eight, $9,000 for, for a hundred acre chunk or 120 acre chunk. And I'm just like, that's real money. <laughs> not own the land to not, but that's um, double or triple many, the guy's property tax. Exactly. And that's why, and that's why farmers do it. Cause they get the egg, but they also get a hunter to get in there and pay, you know, pay what the property taxes are. So yeah. Um, what's your, so talk about, talk about your lease or the, or the farm. Is it the farm? Is it some egg and some woods? Yeah, it's it's the farm. It's uh it's 200 acres total. I have I actually lease 100 of those acres. Um 100 acres is ag fields. That's the the 100 that I do not lease, but the the 100 that is uh that that I lease, it's uh it's like a very good mix of habitat if you want to say. It's um I would say there's probably 30ish acres of CRP in there. It's all overgrown cattle pasture five years ago i actually took it over to lease 
it used to just be cattle ground. So all these old cedar trees and uh, just the thickets in there and the CRPs growing up. Um, there's a couple creeks that run through the property. We actually have three ponds on the property, so we have plenty of water. There's plenty uh, of very heavy cover, big bedding areas on the property. It's just an old, um, if you want to say, overgrown cattle pasture timber that's been in this guy's family for over 100 years. So it's very never nice. been logged out. It's just one of those big mature timbers that's just thick cover, and it seems like all the deer in the area want to come to that the property. Well, I mean, and, and the photos that are going through, I mean, there's some deer. There's there, there's guys up here that do some pretty inappropriate things to to see a deer like what you got going through there. So, um, how many how many deer do you you figure? Uh, um, resident, you know. Yeah, I I'd say we probably have sixty deer that actually live on the farm. Uh, I kind of call them like there's two sections of the farm. There's the south side of a gravel road. Cause I actually have a gravel road that runs right down the middle of the property, which is pretty unfortunate. There's a lot of people that, you know, like to stop and mm -hmm. try to peek across the fence. And we've had a lot of trouble in the past, but it's got better. And then actually the west side of the property, I have a pretty big highway that runs along the whole side of that too. So it's not the most ideal location, but it's a good farm. Um, I would say, I would say maybe 40, 50 deer live on the north side of the road is what I call it. And then there's probably another 20, 30 deer to live on the south side of the road. Pretty good. That's numbers. pretty good compared to my 10. <laughs> <laughs> I have one deer per 10 acres on my property. That's a, that's a tough one, but. That's yeah. And rough. it's, there's quite a, uh, it's a pretty good buck to doe ratio on the farm. I mean, we've always tried to manage the farm to, you know, keep a good ratio on the farm. Um, honestly, I feel like we have more of a two to one buck ratio on the farm than anything. So, I mean, oh, I need I, some help. I got, I got time. <laughs> I can come, come do a thing. You just got to put in for an Iowa tag. It might take you five or six years to get a, get down here. So. What? That's the reason why there's there's good deer down there. So yep. They here in Wisconsin and maybe even in Minnesota, they just they just hand you got twenty four bucks. Here's a tag. You got yeah. three extra dollars for a doe. Have three. Here you go. So yeah, over the counter in Minnesota. I've said this before. It's like one hundred twenty bucks or one hundred eighteen bucks for a out of state license. Uh, what does it cost? Do you know off the top of your head what to hunt out of state in Iowa? I want to say, I mean, this is just a number, random number, but I think it's around like $800 and yeah, to get your tags. And if, if you watch there's stuff online, they sell a, a tag every year. I think it's on eBay or a certain website and it'll go for 40 or $50,000 for somebody to come hunt the state. It's nuts. What wow. people will pay. That's, that's fantastic though. That means that your state's management program is working. Because <laughs> you ain't finding anybody who's going to pay 250 bucks to hunt in Minnesota right now. At least not where I'm at. Because it's nope. just not worth it. I mean, I mean, we're talking Montana. I pay $800 for a mule deer tag. I mean, and that's desirable. Mm -hmm. I mean, going out to Montana, go mule deer hunting is a desirable hunt that I've been privileged to do twice. So, now you got a point system too down there, right? That's why you say five to six years. Yeah, you got to put in for points every year. And I think... You got to pick your county and certain counties, you know, are less points, obviously less desirable counties, but, um, you know, some of your better counties are going to cost you like five points. So we have none of that. There's <laughs> nothing like that in the state of Minnesota and the state of Wisconsin. If the entire state of Iowa wanted to come hunt in Minnesota in my zone, all everybody can get a tag over the counter. No limit. You can shoot a buck and a doe. No problem. Or a buck and two does this year. Yeah, it's unfortunate because you would think, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin would be, you know, heavy hitter states just with the the ter the terrain and the egg and everything you guys got up there, the bigger timber and just um, how it's all laid out. Yeah, you'd think so. So we're going to do a little compare and contrast here. What is the average age of white-tailed deer shot in Iowa by your best guess? Average bucks, what is the average age? I would say a three and a half year old. If I had a guess, three and a half, four and a half year old. 
95% of the Bucks harvested in Minnesota are two and a half and under. Yeah. And Wisconsin's probably a little bit better than that. Not I mean, in your area, you, Kyle, but down south where they yeah, care. Yeah, if you cut if you cut Wisconsin in half, the upper half, ninety percent's a year and a half. The southern half might might have a better chance. But that's where the egg is. There's a lot more QDM. There's a lot more privatized egg and farm that it's managed better. The twelve thousand acres that we talked about of of National Forest that I'm close to gets yep. hammered. Everything gets shot out of it. So they'll put buck tags on on nubs just to, just to say they shot a buck when they get back to camp. So Minnesota um, has to be at least three inches, or it doesn't count for I a buck tag. Uh, yeah, it? ours is that way too. But if some somebody shoots a nub or a spike that's an inch, they're going back to camp going, "I shot a buck," because shooting a buck like that beats somebody that doesn't shoot a buck. That's the mindset. <laughs> oh my god. So. Um, so he, so you said three and a half is the average statewide. What about you? What, what is your target? Do you hunt pure antler or do you hunt age structure? A big thing me and Dylan preach is we want to get <laughs> right now. We want to get a three-year-old is what we want, but the goal is to get the best antler production is a five-year-old deer. You know, okay. so how do you, yeah. so I mean, growing up, like I said, I kind of started off shooting whatever. That's just kind of how I was raised and got into it. And as in my teenage years when I was hunting, I've always bow hunted. And it was always shooting a bigger rack buck. At That mindset at that time, that's what I was going for, trying to kill a bigger racked buck. Um, I would say in the last five years, um, I've kind of went more into it doesn't have to be the rack necessarily. Obviously, the rack is great. Don't get me wrong, but um, I've, I've always, I'm trying to harvest at least a five and a half year old buck on our farm. And I'm not the only one that hunts my farm. I have actually three other guys that hunt the hundred acres that I have that we lease together. So there is a little pressure. I mean, it's, I know it's private ground, but I can't control, you know, when they're going in and hunting and stuff like that, we try to work our best together, but um, we have set it where we're trying to kill a five and a half year old bucks off that farm. And that's and and as far as my property goes, that is what I want to get to. If it ever happens, that'd be great. But right now, my goal is um, the deer that's right here is the deer I harvested last October, and he has set the stage for now. This year, I'm going to go with a bigger rack. In my case, if it's got a bigger rack than him, it's probably an older deer. It's that they're they're going consecutively up. The bigger the rack, the, the older the deer is at this point. But yep. like what you're saying, at five and a half, you could have a buck that's 180. You could have a buck that's 140, and they're both five and a half years old. So bigger rack doesn't quite compare to their age, where in my case, it's it's pretty age rack equivalent. If I see a bigger rack than this next year, it's most likely he's older than what Ace, which is this deer, is. So, but five and a half would be a great goal. They've hit their their physical maturity. So any energy, and so rather than going to their skeletal systems, going to their antlers, so they're getting their biggest jumps, their biggest mainframe. I think Dylan, we talked that three, four years old, they get their biggest improvement. On average, in my on experience, average. between three and four, sometimes four and five. From what I've normally seen, between three and four, you get your biggest jump in growth between four and five they kind of maintain but get a little bit bigger then after five they start going downhill which well it's an old deer but they quit tasting they don't taste quite as good and they aren't as big as they should be their antlers aren't as pretty as they should be so really that in an ideal world if you're looking at just antler size in my experience between four and five is that's the day that's the year to get them yep that's i mean for instance this year uh the two bucks that i had harvested um the one i killed he he was a five and a half year old and he's 176 and then the other five and a half year old that i harvested he's probably a i never even scored him but he's probably a 120 inch deer so mm -hmm. kind of like what kyle was saying it's well i had the egg structure there but it's um just the rack difference so so it's difference in genetics then or if a buck's injured you know that can have a lot to do with it too yeah uh, 
So looking through some of these photos here, you shot just some monster bucks. What was the the big one here? Was it seven on one side? It looked like. Yeah. Uh, so he the buck I killed this year actually got him right here too. I don't know if everyone can see this or not, but wow, he's a six by uh, seven frame. He's got a couple little sticker points, but this is my largest uh, growth scoring buck that I've killed, I guess, if you want to say, at 176. That's just phenomenal. I, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's just crazy because up here we don't get a lot of deer like that yet. There's hope, but right now just statewide management's kind of pretty poor. Uh, so you shot him, uh, and you said the other one that you shot this year was how big? He's probably a 120-inch eight-point. Um, I don't have that rack in here with me right now, but he just, you know, a big old, what I guess I call him was a bully buck. Just, he kind of, he's always been on the farm. I was guessing it would be a five-and-a-half-year-old. He might be older, to be honest with you, but just, he seems like he was always fighting all the other bucks and breaking all of his points off and just kind of a, a buck that I wanted to get off the farm just to, you know, hopefully bring in something else, you know, another bigger boy. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, so that was the, was that the muzzleloader video with that buck? Yes. Yep. Okay. That was uh late muzzleloader that I harvested him. So I think his pictures in there, his pictures are in the rotation here too. Uh, I would actually say you're right that he's older than that. Cause normally in Minnesota, I'm going to argue people say, Oh yeah, we've been chasing this buck for five, six years. I'm like, no, you haven't not in Minnesota. That doesn't happen. Uh, but out there where your guys' management is so much better, I would actually say he's a little bit older than five. Because uh, when a buck starts going downhill, from what I've seen, they typically actually go more up. They get they lose width and they start to go higher with their antlers. And their main beams kind of, it's not full fully straightened out, but they don't have that nice flow, that nice curvature. They kind of just kind of go up. That's the easiest way to say it, but it's not like straight up. But you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, and that's exactly how he was. He just had those big bases on him. His rack went more up and uh, just carried mass through all of his points. And yeah. he had a huge body on him. I never weighed him or anything, but just he had a huge body on him. And I, he's been on the farm for at least the last three years and what I would consider, a, I guess, a mature buck, you know, four, five, six, somewhere in there. So, yeah. And, and so to compare and contrast again, uh, deer to be able to make it like what is what is a what are your guys winters typically look like like are they bad at temperature uh like if a winter was bad for you guys what would that look like i guess uh you know we do get some pretty i mean i don't know compared to you guys but cold temps down here you know negative 30 degrees stuff like that and then we do get i mean a foot of snow, stuff like that. And that is hard on the deer around here, trying to eat in the egg fields, the corn and the beans. And, um, you know, so I guess I'd consider that bad, just those colder temps, which is harder on them to, you know, keep their body temp. And then the deeper snow, just trying to find that food. Yeah. So that's not too far off from what we have up here. Kyle gets a lot more snow than that. And I get colder than that. Uh, and then we're talking length of time, but, I, it just seems like everything's set up for Iowa right now to be one of those destination states where people want to go hunt by the sounds of it. Yeah. And I honestly, our weather down here the last five years has been, you know, we might get a little bit of snow. Like we've been getting maybe seven, eight inches of snow, but within a couple of days it's melted off. So I don't think it's been overly hard on the deer down here. You know, they don't, they haven't felt as pressured to find that food or, you know, they, they have a lot of brows in the timber still. So um, I think it's going to be some pretty good years in the years to come here. We are about to get 24 inches of snow in the next two days. Now, it's been warm, but the snow depth is insane. Um, we lost a bunch this last week because of the warmth and the rain and stuff like that. So that did help. And the, the trails got packed down so the deer can handle that but now we're gonna get 20 i mean we're looking at 12 to 24 inches in the next two days just gonna yeah. get i'm hammered. gonna that's gonna miss me up where i'm at we're not supposed to get any of that it's supposed to be pass within an hour south of us uh um but we eau claire, get the eau claire is gonna get the hardest part which is south of me so we're actually at 
we're going to get clipped on the north, but we have Lake Superior. Snow is going to hit that it's lake effect. We're going to have we're going to have a disaster. Yeah. So, but Twenty-four inches of snow around here is like unheard of. So, <laughs> and, and that's not. I mean, it's a. If we get that, it will be the worst storm of the year. But the first one was twelve. The next one was eighteen. And then we had an eight, a six, a ten, and now we're going to have a twenty-four. I mean, we talk about snow depth and and just being able to travel. And then I get in a fight with because I'm trying to feed a couple deer. Is that what those marks on your face are from? You should see the other guy, Dylan. (laughs) Sorry, I'm looking at your screen because I'm making eye contact. Um, Yeah, it's tough. And and people's priorities are extremely different. Um, We have a, a hunting club, ABC Sportsman Club up here, that's actually got a fundraising thing to do with feeding and helping the animals the deer in, in the winter. They actually have a program where they take some of their finances, buy the corn at a discounted price, and then sell it for even better discount to the people. So they go out and feed their animal, feed, feed the deer to help the deer herd in Northern Bayfield County, which is where I'm from. And um, some people don't like that. Some people do. I'm a high, I can see the deer struggling. And I know the winter kill rate winter kill happens every year but if i can minimize that i would like to let alone the arc of and dylan you know they get down and then when you get to the march time they're at their bottom like they're struggling they're starving they're they're brutal they've walked through four feet of snow all winter and been chased by coyotes and bobcats and blah blah blah. and then once spring hits and the green up happens they turn and they start improving and they get up there but if I can make that arc go like this, why wouldn't you, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know what the rules are down by you, Jared, but I I was educated the last week about feeding and da, 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 da. But if you can't, if you're willing to improve the deer herd, why would anybody be against that? Especially the conservation officers that are all for helping your wild resources. Right. So with right. that, Jared, why don't you tell us what the rules are in Iowa for feeding and taking care of your wild deer? Okay, so obviously during the season, um, season starts October 1st through January 10th, and you're not allowed to bait, feed deer. Obviously, if you have a 10-acre standing corn and you can knock it down and mow it, do whatever you want to do with it, that's legal, but you can't take physically take corn out there and dump it in front of your you know, your stand or your blinds or anything like that. Um, just, I don't know, lots of celebrities down here. If you want to say that the, the bigger TV stars, if you watch a little bit of their hunts, a lot of their cornfields, I mean, it's in front of their blinds. It just, it's like a, a, if you just want to say the yellow brick road of corn in front of their stand. So <laughs> I don't know how they get away with it. I guess if it's, they can legally just go in there and mow it down for the deer, but you know, an average guy like us, we can't take any corn out or you can't have any kind of mineral or nothing like that. So, um, but after season, you can bait starting January 11th. So I always take food out for the deer because I feel it's not only bringing more deer into my property, but it's it's um, helping them with the stress of the winter, finding that food. And I think that's a big key into, um, you know, herd management and then also like their health i mean the does are they're pregnant currently right now so i mean less stress on them is hopefully making healthier you know healthier fawns and um obviously the bucks less stress on them and picking sheds up stuff like that it benefits me and it also benefits them so yeah absolutely kyle it helps the deer (laughs) feed them i I, I I agree with Jared. I, I really believe that from that January 11th or whenever your season's over to green up, which here is first of May, maybe is more important. Like if there's any time to help the deer, it's out of season. Mm-hmm. And, and me and a specific uh, Wisconsin DNR warden had a great conversation. Um, I really appreciate his effort. I really appreciate his work. We had a great conversation. He educated me. 
I disagree with one statement he made, which was deer have survived here for thousands of years. And I question survivability versus prosperity. And, and yeah, there's a difference between survive and thrive. Yes. And survive uh, is just getting by. Tell that DNR and, officer, go stand outside when it's 40 below and 40, 48 inches of snow. See how much fun he's having. So yeah. I, I, I'm fine if you say, I'm going to segue into a question, Jared. So, uh, I'm fine if you say morally you can't hunt over a bait pile morally it hurts the tradition and dylan hold on hold on don't get don't get mad and get into a point if you argued with me and said hunting over a corn pile is not moral or not a good unethical tradition or not a, unethical not a good style of hunting same thing with deer drives and i don't know if jared you guys do do deer drives down there but up in wisconsin and minnesota that's kind of a thing that's a thing oh, yeah that's a huge thing down around okay. here everyone gets together during shotgun season the couple weekends there and pushes all the family farms around here so there's arguments on how you should hunt what weapon you use what style and that's that's fine i'll entertain those arguments but to oh now i lost it darn it <laughs> but to say that i can't help a deer herd outside the season seems crazy to me that if i'm willing to financially support myself in supporting my deer and my deer herd like what gives you any right to that now their argument will be cwd and we've all we've beat this we've beat this down so much but my question is jared have you guys had any cwd down by you so to my knowledge there's not much around my area that i've heard about so um you mean county or like how in, in, my, in my current county i guess okay. okay um i know in southern iowa they said they've you know they have the cwd and they've had it but it's i don't know if iowa's done anything necessarily to prevent it like minnesota or wisconsin and to me i don't know what i believe with it to be honest with you so it's I don't think it's hurting the deer at all to feed the deer like you're saying, or, you know, if it's spreading it that way, I don't think uh, doing these mass kill offs of deer and all this is the right answer for what they're doing. Well, it's just interesting because based on the propaganda at this point, the concept for Wisconsin and I think Minnesota also, even though feeding's okay, the concept of two gallons creates a congregation of too many deer which then they touch noses, they touch eyes, they change bodily fluids, da da da, which passes on the CWD prions. And the reason I'm talking fast is because we've said this over and over and over and over again. So the argument for feeding is CWD. But that would justify, in my case, if you're feeding in the off-season, which is perfectly legal where you're at, wouldn't CWD be there? Wouldn't you be an epicenter? Wouldn't your farm be an epicenter for CWD? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And I, it's not around. So so <laughs> defunct, and that's why I have such a hard time with Wisconsin. And like I said, me and a DNR warden had a great conversation. So now I can be a little bit more vocal on it. <laughs> Screw you on your feeding rules. Screw you on your baiting rules. If I financially am going to take the initiative and help my herd, I should have the right to do so. That's there. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. There's Iowa no does Ohio does it. There's no science that backs up the nose to nose contact thought process. There is no science that supports it. Uh, Dad did an interview with a guy here a couple of weeks ago, and that I actually will end up putting that on our podcast feed here in the next couple of days uh, after this comes out, probably. And basically, it boiled down to for nose to nose contact, they cannot, they cannot get enough infected material from a nose to nose contact to cause another animal to become infected through prions. They just can't do it. It would need such a huge sample size. It's completely unrealistic, but I'm not a scientist. I wasn't necessarily paying attention. I was just pressing record and waiting for dad to finish it. I'll listen to okay. it later. Uh, but that, that the, the feed isn't the way to do it, but here's a question too, Jared, we're kind of getting off topic what we had written down, but we do have notes people. We just don't follow them. 
So if you ever listen to our podcast, like, wow, that did not go the direction we thought it was going to go. That's why we we get lost. We go on tangents. How would you feel, Jared, or the people in your area, if Iowa suddenly started Minnesota's tactics or CWD control? Let's say three miles from you, they find a CWD positive deer. And now they shut down all the baiting, they shut down all the feeding, they shut down, uh, or they give everybody a bunch of doe tags, bunch of tags, and then at the end of the season, when you're done hunting January 10th, they send out snipers with corn piles and helicopters and shoot another 50 deer on the landscape, and then they test all those deer that have been harvested, all whatever number, and they find three CWD positive deer. They're like, okay, we're going to do it again next year. How would that make you and your fellow Iowans feel? It would be horrible for them if they did that around here. I feel like uh, I would not take it well. Um, I feel like they would shoot themselves in the foot doing that in Iowa. I just, the way the state's built right now and how all that is, I just, I would not agree with that at all. And that's what they're doing in Minnesota. That's kind of what they're doing in Wisconsin. Wisconsin's actually gotten to the point where a lot of the state, they don't even test for it anymore. They're like, ah, we give up. It's here, but why bother testing? We are, we're going to find it. So it, it, it's it's a huge political thing is what it's turned into, unfortunately. Uh, but that's I mean, Minnesota's what, answer. What do they get out of killing all these deer, like you're saying, sniping them and uh, this whole helicopter, mass slaughters of them so just to do the testing? I mean... If, if they're going to die anyways from the CWD, right? I mean, I just don't get... get Their it, thought so. process is to stop the spread, right? Just like with coronavirus, they're like, stop the spread, slow the spread. Instead of killing everybody, they gave everybody masks, which that's a whole conversation too. Uh, <laughs> may or may not have done anything. So when they say, well, we're going to slow the spread of CWD by killing everybody, all the deer, we're going to kill them all. Because then nobody has CWD anymore. Okay, but we know CWD lives on the landscape. When a deer passes and its infected body is on the landscape, the landscape now has CWD. They've been able to feed CWD-infested grass or hay to a hamster and got the hamster to get CWD. The stupid thing about CWD is, yes, it's deadly. It takes five years to kill an animal, and they normally can't contract it until after 18 months. Deer farmers, we never did touch how you feel on deer farming, but that's a long conversation too but deer farmers now have started breeding for i think it's the ss gene which is resistant to cwd and they've taken farms that have been highly prevalent with cwd like better than 50 percent of the harvested animals every year have cwd they went from 100 or 50 60 percent cwd rate breeding to this ss gene to zero in a three to four year period no animals are being harvested with cwd so when the DNR go out and shoot everything, they don't they don't know when they pull the trigger if that deer has a correct gene or not to not carry to not get CWD. So their answer is let's kill everything. That way nobody has it. Where the actual answer is if we let all these deer survive and repopulate, the ones that have the gene will be the ones that survive and don't get CWD. And it'll take 25 to 50 years, I think, to remove CWD from the landscape in that fashion. Kind of off topic, but it, it, it's it's just so dumb. And Iowa has CWD. I know for a fact, I could pull it up and look at what the testing information says, but you got that the northeast corner of Iowa is less, probably less than 100 miles from the CWD epicenter in Wisconsin. Yep. And deer will travel 100 miles. Absolutely. The southernmost counties in Minnesota, several of them have CWD right on the Iowa border. You guys have CWD. It's just your state doesn't care, which is excellent. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, um, Sorry, I'm having technical difficulties. I thought so you were taking care I of your have, dog or something. <laughs> I have um, no idea on our checklist where we're at. We're on CWD, but on the on our notes, where are we at? Um, we made it down a little ways. Have you talked uh, about your Have you talked about your favorite buck yet? We talked about his big one, but I don't know if that was his favorite one. I guess if you want to dig into that hunt a little bit more, just kind of all that made out this Give it year. To me. 
Okay. So obviously going into this year, I knew the buck was on the farm because here's his sheds from last year. And <laughs> yep. So that's actually the second set of sheds we picked up off him off that farm. Um, and just watched him the last couple of years, kind of patterning him out, learning what he's doing. But going into this year, I was watching him come out to a hay field every night. And I mean, this deer was like clockwork. It, if we had like a northwest wind, he would come out more on the northern part of the farm, which makes sense. He's walking with the wind more in his face. He's quartering the wind coming out to the field. And then if we had a southwest wind, he would do the opposite. So, and he kind of had like this, if you want to say like a, a U routine he did every night, he would come out depending on the wind and he would work this scrape line all the way around the field and work his way back into his bedroom. So I went into this year and I was going to hunt like, I don't know how some people call it, like whiskey wind, if you want to say, where the wind is more in the deer's favor. It's blowing to the deer and just hunting a little bit more aggressively. And I was hunting where I thought he was going to come out the first week. I seen him every single night, but he would just come out just a little bit further away, maybe 50, 60, 70 yards away. And um, I decided about the second week of October that I was going to move into his bedroom. And that's that overgrown cattle pasture that I was talking about. It's more of a CRP, just overgrown thicket. Um, they love to bed out in this stuff. And it's actually right along the highway, which is really weird. You wouldn't think a big old buck would want to lay right along that highway, but they just feel safe there. So um, decided to kind of get in there that night and move in. And we had, it was downpouring on me. I was sitting there for probably an hour and a half while it was raining. And I knew right when that rain would stop that they were going to get up and move. So we had a Southwest wind. So I was kind of playing it where I thought he was going to come out to that hay field. And uh, I actually had another bigger buck or one of our other hit list bucks on the farm called splits walked right literally to the base of my tree and made a scrape underneath the tree that I'm sitting in. So I, I knew, and they ran together too. Every night I seen them, those two were like paired together. I don't know what it is, but they like to run together. So I was thinking I'm going to see him. Long story short, I seen him probably 60 yards away, but he took a different path. The story of the year, you know, how it was going. But um, I got back in there and kind of fine-tuned where I was sitting a little bit. And he ended up coming in the next night at like 545. And I guess kind of digging into more of where I'm sitting, it's there's like open CRP. And then you got like the thicker timber. And I was kind of hunting more of that edge right there where there's not a lot of sign, like if you want to say heavy trails, because a lot of those does would walk more of that open CRP field. But I just knew, you know, the bucks, they like to kind of hang tight to that edge with that thicker cover. And but they don't like to walk through that super thick stuff. But it's just kind of like cover enough where you don't know they're there and hunted the wind. And there was actually a scrape on each side of me there. And he walked right to the base of my tree, uh, about 20 yard shot, shot him and he ran 80 to 100 yards and died. So um, crazy that where I found his sheds, I bet they were probably 30 or 40 yards away from where I picked the sheds up the year before. So I knew that was right where his bedroom was, where he ran back to and just kind of where that deer liked to live. So what, what did he score? If do you, did you score him? Yeah, he, he scored 176. That's not professionally scored. I, I actually don't have any of my deer in any books. Um, I haven't really ever had him taken into score, but, uh, I'm usually pretty close on my score. So 176 and three eights is what I got. That's a, that's a, that's your biggest. That That's my biggest. I, I do have a 174. I have a 172 <laughs> couple in the one sixties and uh, yeah, all the way down to one twenties, you know? So um, go ahead, Dylan, go ahead. <laughs> if we're lucky up here, there's a buck shot within three or four, five, six miles of where I live. A singular deer that gets harvested every year that's about that 160 to 170 range. And you got multiples off the same piece. I, yeah. uh... I've been very fortunate, I mean, with the farm that I got. And, I mean, I've, the last three years, I've actually, 
I've actually probably had, I'd say at least five different bucks, five, six bucks that were over 170 that were on that farm. So there was a neighbor that killed my main hitless buck. He, we called him King and he was 196 inches the year he got killed. So, and that year I had him patterned just like this buck um, come into a food plot every night. And I had him come. He was the first year in the food plot that night in front of me. And uh, I had him at 40 yards broadside. And I, to be honest with you, I've never shot a deer over 30 yards of my bow. Not that I don't practice farther. I practice out to 60, 70 yards just to make those 30, 40 yard shots. But his pattern, I thought he was going to come closer to me. So I didn't take the shot. And it's just one that's going to haunt me forever, you know? So I don't, I don't think I've a, a couple notes on your story. I don't think I've ever taken a shot over 30 yards. I have practice and I do practice like 50, 55 with my 35 yard pin. So, you know, I go back 50 yards and I use my 35 pin and I, and I try to do that. Not that I would ever, not that I would ever do that because a target versus a live animal is totally different, Yep. but you're right. It does make a 25 yard shot feel like I'm right here and it's no big deal. Um, so I don't, I don't take, my my food plot that we built is only 30 yards wide you know shooting across and the reason i did that the reason my blinds in the spot it is is because it's 30 this to my right it's 30 straight across and it's about 40 to the pond so once they get past the pond i have shooting basically um in case that scenario happens I, I i know if they're out there i can worry about it if they're in the woods don't get excited yet um but I shot this one, which is the second deer off the property. You you mentioned the wind. You kind of gave him, uh, which buck was it? Not King. Uh, Lucky was, Seven is the one Lucky that seven. I, yep. I actually gave him the wind. So he can't, he basically came in three times, hours before sunset on the camera, you know, every night I wasn't there. And I get migraines really bad actually i had one today because the, stor the storm coming through and you know people are like oh a storm's coming my knee hurts well it's kind of that way with my my migraines but the three times he came in i had a migraine that day and long story short i had a migraine he had burned me the two nights before the two times before because i so i didn't sit but i was like i'm gonna sit tonight and i looked at the wind and the wind was horrible for me i was giving him 100 the wind yeah. And I'm like, well, I know he's coming in because one, the migraine, which means the storm's coming, which means the pressure's high. Everything told me he's going to come in. But the wind is so bad. I'm like, well, scent free, get all scented or unscented. <laughs> I'm hunting out of a box blind so the wind can't catch me and all the windows are closed. And when I got in, I did some um, scent marker, basically. And it was going from me to like one o'clock. And I knew if he came from the left, I would have until that one o'clock before he'd be downwind of me or in my cone. Um, I ended up shooting him half hour, 45 minutes with shooting light left. At about 11 o'clock, he came in and stopped. And that's where I shot him. But it's aggressive hunting. It's If you mess up, you're going to teach that deer. And you might ruin it for the year. But I knew he was coming. I gave him everything. But that's why he came in, because he had everything. He had the scent. He had the right direction. He was covered. He was in the advantage. And and I had to get, but I had to get aggressive with him. Now, he is not 170 some inches. But the deer up by me, I think if they went down by you, would love life. Plenty of food. It's not <laughs> cold and there's barely any snow. He would be loving life. So I, I I wouldn't say he's smarter than your deer or better than your deer, but I think shooting a deer like this in northern Wisconsin is is as much of a challenge as shooting some of the deer that have bigger racks leg down by you. I mean, you said you had how many 170-inch deer on the property? Yeah. Me and Dylan are lucky we have 170-inch deer in the county. I shot one deer. 173 inches, still my biggest deer to date. And the world came unglued <laughs> because I shot this deer. I mean, the world ended 
that the county was just a disaster because of one deer. And I kept it as hush hush as possible. The only reason anybody in the area knew is because one of my buddies showed up, walked in my house, and the rack was sitting on the table before I could like chuck it behind the couch. <laughs> and he's like, What is that? And I'm uh nothing. <laughs> I mean, I registered it, I did everything legal, but I didn't go to I didn't take pictures, I didn't have any hero photos. I didn't take pictures with it. I got the rack. We were done with it. It's still not even on a shoulder mount. <laughs> but, and that was 173. I actually got scored at, at, at Dylan's Expo. But somebody shoots that kind of caliber deer up here, it's it's a flipping thing. So to have access to five, six options or, you know, it's it's tough hunting. But, man, that is a privilege. That That wall behind you is phenomenal yeah i i i feel very fortunate just i you know growing up you don't realize what you got you know it's just i kind of grew up around this and just knowing now what i kind of grew up around and living in in iowa i'm very fortunate so it's so, very lucky <laughs> so that begs the question then what management practices do you or does the state of iowa or both implement to allow you guys to have such big deer well it's it's only a, a two buck state so i think that's great they don't allow um like a gun or a rifle season during the rut if you want to say which a lot of states do minnesota like does and i hate it yeah so i think that's a, a big factor in that um just the way they lay the seasons out, I feel like it's it's challenging to us, but it's great for the deer, you know, to get the the mature bucks in the area like that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think here. I guess that's all I got with that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, Jared, you don't shoot two year olds. No, it's I'm on our farm. We're trying to kill anything that's five and a half years old, so it's just it's challenging i mean you get some bigger bucks in there that you know bigger racks if you're looking at the rack and i mean you'll have 150 inch deer that we're passing and stuff and it's it's hard i mean it's not easy to do but to me i get so much more enjoyment out of watching that deer for multiple years building the history with the sheds the trail cam pictures learning the way that deer lives and taking that challenge and finding that deer and harvesting that deer with my bow too well, so you won't you aren't you're not gonna get a 196 inch animal if you shoot every 150 inch deer that walks by. I don't care what the age structure is. If it's a three-year-old 150 inch deer, that's a good deer, that's a big deer. And I think me and Dylan would shoot that. But you're not gonna get 196 inches if you shoot it. He's gonna be 150, and that's just where he's at. So your self-control or 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 your management skills specifically create the opportunity to have these big deer and and agriculture and the food and the the less of a um, severe winter i mean that helps but if you don't pull that trigger on 150 inch deer you could get 196 inch deer and that's something that i think northern wisconsin or even you know mid wisconsin struggles with 150 inch deer shoot it otherwise your neighbor will yeah. and that's tough. That's a tough fight. So. Yeah. And I mean, I got a lot of good neighbors in the area that are on the, a management plan too. You know, they're trying to achieve the same thing on their farm. So that's very helpful for our area, but there is, I mean, just across the highway from me, there's like, we were talking about doing deer drives, there's deer drives. So I've, a lot of the deer that I've had on my farm have got killed over there during a deer drive and they're just, you know, out to kill whatever they can just to, filler tag and i respect that and but it, it's still a challenge because you know during bow season i'm passing this 150 inch deer hoping it's going to make it to that 190 170 inch you know class and just get shot during shotgun season so it's it is still a challenge down here um definitely with not having you know 500 acres to manage or a thousand acres to manage you know so and everybody and their brother hunts down here i'm sure it's the same thing up there but you know, I got multiple guys that hunt the fence line around me and just there, it's a lot of competition down here. So. So for in-state hunters, if you are a resident, are you guaranteed a tag? How does that work? Yep. 
so if, if you're a resident, it's, I think it's about a hundred dollars now between your license, there's a habitat fee, and then you get one archery tag and then you can choose any gun season. So you can either choose a shotgun season or a late muzzleloader season for your gun. Okay. So you said you're a two bucks say you mean that's two bucks per person. Yep. You, you can kill two bucks. Um, and then they also, depending on the county that you're in, they give out other books like uh doe tags okay and minnesota's never been that way and wisconsin's kind of the same way as that as i understand it but minnesota if you live in like in my zone you get a buck tag you can use your bow rifle or muzzleloader doesn't matter which one uh but you have to purchase each individual license which is like 35 bucks a piece and if you fill your bow tag well too bad you can't shoot a buck with your rifle uh but then you can also get bonus tags or doe tags and depending on the year that's anywhere from one to five uh or zero in some areas but there's no there's no limit on how many people can buy a buck tag but you're only allowed one per person yeah so we we do allow two which i i wish they would allow like two archery tags down here there during the late muzzleloader season you can actually use your bow they allow crossbow now and uh, muzzle loader, and then there's certain handguns that you can use as well. Um, but during like bow season, you only get your one archery tag, and then you can choose a shotgun season or late muzzle loader to get your other any sex tag for the state. So, hmm. and and we can so our doe tags can be filled with any weapon, to my understanding. There's some okay. there's some argument this year, and the, the regulations don't make sense in Minnesota. Uh, you can read through the regulation book and they still don't make sense. But if you buy a buck tag with like, I shot a buck with my bow and filled my buck tag. Now I have two doe tags that I purchased at the same time about my buck tag, which I'm assuming they were archery. But then me and a bunch of other people, nobody could figure this out. And the DNR officers, two people asked different officers and they gave them different answers. What did you need to buy a rifle tag for a buck that you can't shoot to use a rifle on your doe tags? And yeah, there's a big bunch of confusion. Super frustrating. One DNR officer said, no, you have to buy a rifle license for a buck so you can fill your doe tags, but you can't fill that rifle license because you already shot your buck. <laughs> and, and like, I, but I registered it. They won't sell it to me. It, it doesn't That's... make sense. Minnesota's messed up. Uh, what One thing I don't agree with down here is they allow you to buy a doe tag during gun season like shotgun season and if you party hunt or group hunt down here you could kill so if you got 10 guys in your group down here and say five of them have buck tags five have doe tags one guy can actually shoot all five bucks during a drive you know and use their buck tags up so what a lot of people do they'll get you know your archery buck tag and then like a late muzzleloader buck tag and then during shotgun season they'll get a doe tag and go hunt with a group and then they could kill two or three bucks if they want to still. So some of that stuff I don't really agree with. Uh, I got nothing against, you know, party hunting by any means, but I feel like if you're going to hunt shotgun season and a party hunt, you know, you should, if you're going to kill a buck, you should have to have a buck tag yourself. So I do. And I don't agree with that. I haven't really figured out exactly where I stand on party hunting. Cause I mean, that's something we can do up here too, but the rules on it in Minnesota you have to be within verbal speaking distance of the person who has the tag. Okay. And that might be down here too, but I know that's not followed down here by any yeah. means. So well, there's lots <laughs> of guys that are like, Oh, well I shot a buck. Hey buddy, you got a tag left. I had to shoot it. Come give me your tag. Yeah. A, a lot of guys do that up here, which is not legal according to the regulations as read, but if you don't get caught, is it illegal? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Kyle knows now. <laughs> it is not illegal. Uh, no, it is still illegal. Yes. Yes. To your question, yes, it is still illegal. Just don't get caught. Oh, that's just goofy stuff. Uh, okay, so we're kind of over an hour here. So I think we're going to end up hitting another podcast. Uh, but real quick before we go... Do you want to, can you just fill us in on what is Outdoor X exactly? So Outdoor X Media, it's just a group of guys. We're just your average day working class guys. Uh, 
you know, or if you want to call us the weekend warriors, you know, but we're just all majority of us are from Iowa. I know we do have a couple other states that are on there, but we're just trying to film our hunts. It's not nothing professional by any means. I mean, just a GoPro, cell phone, anything like that, just kind of trying to share our hunts and take everyone along the way of our everyday hunts, going shed hunting, turkey hunting, anything outdoors, basically. So we got a good group of guys and um if you go check out the channels we got i mean there's lots of good content on there that can keep you busy for days so so that's outdoor x media on youtube and is there anywhere else that people can find you or your company or yep. you specifically so there is uh outdoor x media on youtube instagram TikTok, um all of the normal you know social media platforms just look us up on there uh my stuff just jared dalton uh i do have instagram and uh Facebook, look me up on there. So, there you know, you it's it's really interesting because it's the it's the platform that's similar to what me and Dylan are going for is is the weekend warrior, self filming. You're hauling your camera and your arm out with your with your bow and your tree stand and you're this and you're that and and you you're getting maybe not the perfect footage sometimes. And I I mean, I was privileged when I shot this deer. It was my first self filming scenario and i got it i actually I, I got the shot i he walked in before i put the release on i moved the you know camera and all that freaked me out because what happens if he takes a step or whatever there's a process to self-filming it's a whole nother challenge oh yeah um so to see to see one the footage that you've got and i've watched quite a few of of your videos um even before we talked about the podcast but to see that and to see you're interviewing yourself. I never realized how hard it would be to interview yourself <laughs> and try to like close out on a hunt and open a hunt and film and what you feel is necessary. Self-filming is such a hard thing to do. Um, so I applaud you and everybody else on Outdoor X to, to successfully one, put a video together that's entertaining that captures the hunt but two i mean that takes some serious commitment because you could just go get in the tree stand and shoot the deer and who cares and and or or shoot the deer and not even turn the camera on so to commit to self-filming I, I think it deserves a couple likes a couple follows and a couple uh re-watches of the videos so and i think but prior to this posting which i believe is friday dylan yeah this will come up friday we'll try to share again your hunts you know, we'll put the link on there so people can watch them and hopefully your views go up. Cause there's a lot of work that goes into that video happening. Um, we did, um, up at Dylan's dad's farm. We did a hunt. We filmed that. I filmed self filmed this deer. Eh, there we go. That deer. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot of work. I, I mean, it, it's the, the easy part's getting the camera out there, then everything else and dialogue and editing and, and putting together and then just posting it. It's a lot of work. So I, I would say anybody that's watching this or listening to this, go to YouTube, go to outdoor X or go to Jared directly and watch the videos. Cause I'm sure he could use a couple more views and follows on there. So. Yeah, um, I, I appreciate that. It's, it is a challenge. And I mean, our main thing with our channel too, it's, if you get a big buck in front of you and you can't get it on film, you're still shooting that deer. We're not going to not kill the deer just to get it on film. Um, obviously, we want to get it on film, but it's just, it, it is a challenge just, you know, putting all that together. And so any like and follow up with all this would be great. So I, I just watched um, Deer Society. Um, Look them up. It, they do another category. It's called Whitetails from Scratch. They bought a property and they're doing exactly what me and Dylan are doing at Wits End. But um, Mike, I believe the father of the group, self-filmed him hunting and he had injuries and all that stuff, but he self-filmed it. And the deer's there. And he ended up shooting with his crossbow. But the footage doesn't get the deer. You can't quite see it's behind some brush. The footage is not great. But he shoots it and he gets the deer. And to that point, I commend, I, I compliment him on still shooting, even though it wasn't perfect footage. This is not monster bucks 
the fourth or Bill Jordan or Michael Waddell or bat, you know, it's none of that. We're still hunting. Getting a 170 some inch deer in front of you is difficult. Oh, so yeah. Please do not pass it up. I don't care if the camera's off in the trees and I got to hear thwack, thwack. Shoot that deer. Film going up to it because you're working on, or you're hunting on weekends when you're working, when you're not working, shoot that deer. But it's just nice to tag along. And I've watched, I've watched, I think every video you've posted and, and it's very entertaining. And I'm very jealous that you get a crack at some of those deer. So well, I really appreciate you watching. It's it means a lot, actually. It's you know, I, I do it just because I truly enjoy it. It's and if I can share it with other people, that's a plus, you know. So and I I, I did the self-filming thing for Ace and I haven't even sent it to Dylan, but I have a lot of expectations with Dylan to make it look good. Because <laughs> I don't I am I am handing him so much footage of me just blah blah blah. I hope he makes something good of it. Blooper but. reel. Blooper reel after blooper reel after blooper reel. Yeah. So That's all you, the videos are going to be. <laughs> if you want to see the blooper reels or follow us, uh, you can do so at 10 Point Whitetails on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, all the good stuff there. YouTube podcast is Lessons of the Woods. Comes out every Friday at 7 p.m. Unless something bad happens like I forgot to hit schedule, which actually happened to our Spotify podcast. Forgot to hit go on it until like Sunday afternoon. I'm like, just sat there in the tab all ready to go uh but you can follow jared at outdoor x media they got lots of cool stuff on there and uh i think we're gonna turn this off and record another one because that's how we roll nothing's ever on time uh so yeah thank you guys for watching we'll see you all next time